0: Mental Health Bootcamp Podcast. Mm. This is the podcast where four psychotherapists, three of us Canadian, one of us American, serve you cutting edge mental health knowledge. I am Dr. Ryan Howes, a clinical psychologist from Pasadena, (laughs) California.
1: I am Brooke Lewis, a registered clinical counselor from the Vancouver, Canada area.
2: And I'm Joanna Boyd, also a registered clinical counselor from the Vancouver area.
3: And I'm Chris Boyd, a psychotherapist from the greater Vancouver area.
0: Hooray! Yeah, woohoo. We're all here. The gang is all here. Mm-hmm. One of us had a birthday this week. It wasn't that me. That was me,
3: yep, yeah, yeah. on uh, Monday. Yes. It was a splendid time. Very nice. That's great. And yeah i was hoping to uh, uh get out of town but we can't uh do that yet in bc here so stay close to home but it worked out really well had some backyard hangouts with some friends and family oh my um that yeah, was fun
0: yeah you guys are you guys are still in kind of a a tighter tighter lockdown than we are here in california at least
3: mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah but it's getting better hopefully so we got some good news this past Tuesday on yeah. uh, our reopening plan. So, if we stick if we can stick to it, then uh yeah, hopefully we will catch up to you guys down in California.
0: That's great. Just open the border. That's all I want. Let me come up there and hang out with you guys again. That would be great. Would it be it's cool good. to do a podcast from all four of us in the same room?
1: It would be amazing. That it would just be, be one screen
0: be one screen we'd have to like pass a micro- microphone around or something <laughs> i don't know how it would work yeah, <laughs> be fun. yeah. there must uh, be a
2: way where you can have an attachment into one computer and multiple microphones because people sit in the same room and do podcasts all the time
0: oh sure yeah 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 i'm sure there's some sort of a line splitter or something like that if you know out there listening public and you <laughs> want to help us out with that info at mentalhealthbootcamp.com <laughs>
1: How do we have four microphones in one video?
0: One. Computer. Donations
1: are appreciated. <laughs>
0: <laughs> donations of knowledge. You'll
2: get a shout out. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's it. Right. Well, great. Um, it is certainly I can see in through Brooks camera, if you're watching on YouTube, I can see that it is still very much light out there. It's uh, been, the sun has been set here for two hours, and you guys are still working on some twilight there, aren't you?
1: Yeah, it's definitely, it's it's a little bit of a darker day. You can yep. kind of see out Joanna's window a little bit too. Um, yeah, there you go. So yep. it's definitely a lot of clouds today, so it yep. appears a little darker, but next week should be quite bright, I hope. hmm And we're doing this pretty crazy. It is
0: pretty like crazy. It. Yes. Yes. Speaking of next week, we have a special event coming up for next week. Uh, if, if any faithful listeners out there will recall, we started doing a book club a couple months ago. And we did our, our first book was Together by Vivek Murthy. We spoke about that a month ago. And uh, we all read it and kind of had our thoughts, gave our opinions and kind of voted on it, whether we liked it or didn't like it. This month, uh, we did also choose a book, which was several weeks ago, but have failed to mention it over the last few episodes. But this book is called The Gift. And it is by...
1: Edith Eger. Edith Eger. Eger. E-G-E-R.
0: Yes, Edith Eger. It is a... Not a very long book, for for me since I listened to it, it was about a five hour listen, yeah. which is uh, pretty pretty short by audiobook standards. Uh, and this is a woman who, she's a psychologist who uh, survived a a time in in um, a concentration camp in uh, Germany, I believe.
1: Yeah, and- Auschwitz.
0: Was it Auschwitz? Was it Auschwitz? I already read the book, but I I'm starting to lose the details already. Uh, But she, this is a a book where she talks about kind of life lessons that she learned and things that helped her kind of persevere and overcome a lot of hardships and difficulties in her life. And so we chose this book, thinking it might be a a good a good addition, a good uh, source of discussion for us. So we're going to talk about that book next week on this podcast.
1: We sure are.
0: So if you haven't picked up a copy yet, go ahead and do so. The Gift, Edith Egger. And uh, I've already read it. Brooks halfway through.
2: There's and no time like the present.
0: No go like buy the, present. the gift. Go buy the gift. We don't get any kickbacks for this. It's just okay. a uh, something we wanted to do together. I thought it might be kind of fun to do a book club. If you guys have any suggestions also for future book clubs, because I think next week we'll probably talk about what our next book will be. Yes. Anyone has any thoughts on what they might might want to hear us discuss. uh, Might want to read along with us. Please drop us a line (laughs) info at mentalhealthbookhead.com or Facebook or wherever you find us. We're everywhere. That would be great. That would be great.
1: There's a lot of really good books out there. It's uh it's hard to know what ones to pick and why, and everyone is drawn to something different. So sure. any recommendations would be wonderful.
0: I just have to say probably something that at least touches upon mental health somehow would be a good book, you know?
1: That's a good point. Yes.
0: You know, just a general cookbook or a, uh, you know. Sci-fi. Sci-fi. Although some of those are are touch mental health issues but yeah let's just try to keep it in the mental health area that'd be sure. nice very cool so well guys i guess it's almost time for our ambush here this is excited? Uh, i'm very excited brooke always seems to come up with some doozies some doozies <laughs> sometimes gives us some real curveballs but uh but i'll tell you some of brooke's curveballs as we were reviewing tonight looking at some of our Our stats, Brooke's Curveballs are some of the most listened to episodes, so.
1: We'll see if it happens again.
0: We will see. Remember that time
1: I did sleep hygiene part two, and then you guys gave me a hard time, and since then, whoo, doozies. (laughs) Really overcompensated for that protective strategy so that I don't get bugged again.
0: (laughs) Oh, it's all in good fun, Brooke. It's all because we love you, right?
1: Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs)
0: <laughs> all right. Well, okay. ambush. Are you guys... ready? Should I send
1: it?
0: No one else does. She's going to send it across the border right now. The only thing coming across the U.S.-Canada border is Brooks' text. Boop. No people. Boop, no boop, boop, travel. Boop,
2: boop, boop, boop,
0: boop. Okay. All right, Brooke. You sent. You, you got us. You got us here on this one. Uh, all right. The topic is toxic toxic masculinity, part two. Just kidding. (laughs) No, this one, here are the, the, here's the topic. Ready? (laughs) Codependency, gaslighting, and other toxic relationship patterns. Codependency, gaslighting, and other toxic relationship patterns.
1: Is there a question? No, that's <laughs> it. It's just general <laughs> exploration.
3: Um, okay. Yeah. So is uh, is our dad showing up right now, Dennis? No, no. there's
1: no nobody is popping. <laughs> Am yeah. I being punked right now, Ashton? Ashton.
3: Yeah. That's a good topic. Yeah. So he's going to explore those. Yeah.
1: Yeah. What
3: made you
0: What made you think of this
3: one, Brooke?
1: Um, my client earlier today. Yeah, so she's having some relationship challenges, and she's concerned if, you know, if she's in a codependent relationship, and if they're getting stuck in it, and reviewing her relationship history, and she has a, a history of dating persons who um, aren't formally diagnosed, but could be a bit more on the narcissistic side. She may have some traits of BPD codependency stuff and, but, mm-hmm. but then it you know it uh shows yeah codependency kind of gets thrown around gaslighting that term gets used a lot um right now but yeah it, there's so many unhealthy or not just unhealthy but really toxic relationship patterns out there so i thought it'd be worth a go we can discuss them i'm sure our clients bring them up all the time whether intimate relationships or friendships family members yeah
0: sure yeah let's see codependency certainly gaslighting which tends to be a kind of a byproduct of a narcissistic relationship oftentimes Um, that's where
1: it seems to get pinned but i think it's getting thrown around a lot more
0: it is
1: in those but yeah
0: yeah Mm -hmm.
1: crazy making
0: uh boy people talk about trauma bonds that's another
1: that's
0: another hot one. Hot one that's coming up a lot these days. So I guess what we're doing is kind of exploring and and maybe defining, as we always do. We start with defining things because these these terms sometimes get so so overused in in public discourse that it, that they come become jargony and we kind of lose sense of what it is that we're talking about, right? <laughs> like codependency actually is. I, I, I'm glad you started with that one because that's it was very early in my training, many, many moons ago, uh, a client came in and said, you know, I'm, I'm struggling with codependency. And I went, oh gosh, codependency. Yeah. Let's, let's dive into that. And, and then I went to my supervisor afterwards and I said, ah, my client's dealing with codependency and the supervisor said, what does that mean? (laughs) What, what does that, what is that? Codependency isn't, it's not a diagnosis. And exactly. it's also, it also means so many different things to so many different people. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe the original definition of codependency had to do with actual addiction literature where people were someone who was addicted to the addict, someone who's codependent. They're, they're, the, the person is uh, an alcoholic and then their, their partner, the, the enabling partner, someone is kind of addicted to them, meaning they can't can't let them go, have to keep being there to take care of them and all of that.
1: Mm -hmm. which then deflects from their own yes psychological piece right like how are they coping and what emotions are coming up for them and it completely deflects the focus from them onto this person yeah
0: exactly but now nowadays it's more of a general thing addiction may not may have nothing to do with it and it's just people who are really losing themselves in their relationship really so so overly the boundary has become so loose and they're giving so much to the other person that they kind of lose a sense of who they are um and they get so overly focused on meeting the needs of others that they don't meet their own
1: if they even know what their own
0: yeah maybe even lost touch with that or never got in touch with in the first place sure Mm -hmm. so that's that's kind of the way i understand codependence do you guys have any other thoughts on what it what it is
3: that mm-hmm. uh, sounds uh, good to me i didn't realize the the original definition of it was linked to mm-hmm. addiction so hey, i didn't know that but um that's, no, how, that was, def- that's
0: how it that's how taught to me at least i'm <laughs> speaking off the cuff
3: here but yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You no know, that definition sounds pretty good It can as you mentioned it can look so differently based on the relationship right um mm-hmm. so lots of different examples of that we hear about but pretty funny though that uh um you talk to your your supervisor and say yeah my codependency is like well what does that mean I'm like what does that mean
0: <laughs> yeah exactly because <laughs> it's a really good it, question and and i'm really glad that that was one of the first lessons i learned as a therapist it's like you really it's it's really what we do here every time you have to define your terms you know someone mm-hmm. says i'm you know i'm depressed or uh, i'm bipolar or i'm borderline personality disorder whatever that might be you really have to you don't just take that for what you're assuming that to be, you have to dive in and say, what does that mean to you? What does that what does that look like for you? Mm-hmm. Um yeah. because my idea of what codependence looks like could be very different from what you're trying to describe to me. So let's uh let's clarify our terms here.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I'm on board with you, Ryan, like just kind of that general sense of um uh, it. Instead of having a, an identity with an I, it's an identity with a we, like it's a, you kind of, you lose yourself as something else and into something else and breaking mm. that is, uh, can be really detrimental for people. Right. Which then keeps them often stuck in these relationships, which are unhealthy or in a pattern that's unhealthy as well. So,
3: yes. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure because I think it's it can be natural within a friendship or relationship that you that the um, relationship becomes the focus and you may lose a little bit of that sense of self but maybe you're creating something special with that individual that that's very beneficial and positive but isn't there like an enabling part of this where you're kind of enabling certain behaviors that might be uh, toxic or unhealthy?
0: Well, I think just by not not showing up you know, if you're the, the codependent partner there who's losing yourself in this relationship, then your needs are not even really showing up, right? So eventually you're going to feel depleted, maybe resentful, maybe just unable to 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 function as well because your needs aren't being met. Um and yes, there's often a lot of blind spots that go along with this too. Like, oh, you want you, you know. As the codependent partner, you're looking at someone else, your your partner and saying, oh, well, you want, you want me to do all these things? Okay, whatever, whatever makes you happy, you know, whatever you, whatever you want or need, which could be a violation of your own boundaries or your own values or, you know, things that you um, find to be really important parts of the relationship. So, yeah, there's a lot of room there for someone to be kind of trampled on uh, as far as what their needs might be.
3: Yeah but oftentimes they get something out of it too, right? So they might be enabling their partner's mental health concerns, but um, they're getting something from it too. Maybe it's companionship or security of, of some kind. So it kind of goes both directions, right? Which is, um, again, can be unhealthy in so many different ways.
0: Yeah, yes. And I would even say that the security of that is is kind of flimsy. Right, because it's the security is really based on as long as I'm as long as I'm able to meet all of my partner's needs, then they'll stay with me. Or as long as my Mm. partner needs me to meet Mm. their needs, then they'll stay with me. Um, Which is, I don't think that's that's a very conditional security, right? It's, It's true. As soon as I'm unable to meet those needs, then I risk being left or. You know dumped
3: something like that yeah yeah and based on that person's history maybe the fact it's familiar leads to that sense of safety and security but i get as you as you mentioned though it's not not healthy right
2: are there are there so are can we break it down is there a telltale sign for someone to recognize if they're you know in it, like even Brooke, your client, who's like, I think this is what's going on. Were there examples she was giving? Did she note that, you know, there's maybe things going on and that she was having a hard time with boundaries herself or,
1: yeah. You know, oh yeah, this client that, um, the one from today, she's very well read in the area. This has been a relationship pattern for her for ever since she started dating really. So she has read books about codependency, and books about how narcissists and borderlines find each other and what their relationship themes and patterns are like. And Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, any, any book that you would recommend to her that might be helpful, she will read. So she's actually really well read, but if anything, almost too much, then it becomes the medical student syndrome where it's like, she can highlight all the pieces in books that fit for her relationship. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's that thing. It means that you see parts of yourself in it. Right. You know, but uh, yeah. Hmm.
0: So, so yeah, Joe, your question, are there signs, things that you can, you can tell that maybe you are, you're in a codependent relationship. Maybe you are, you're the codependent partner or your partner's the one who's, who's kind of losing them their self. Um, so I would I would say that I guess if you just first of all if you're just feeling preoccupied with the other person's uh, emotions the other person's mm-hmm. well-being you know if, if you're losing sleep at night because you're afraid of what your partner is experiencing and if that's if this is a yeah. common thing I mean once in a while of course loving bonded relationships people care for each other this is where sure. This is where this whole issue gets a little dicey, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. we're talking about, you know, on the one hand, we want people to attach. If if they wanna be in this relationship, they wanna be partnered, Mm -hmm. want them to have empathy and care for one another. But Mm -hmm. codependence is when it's going over over the line there. So it's too much. So you're you're caring for that other person so much that you're losing care for yourself. So- You're
2: neglecting your own needs.
0: You're neglecting your own needs, right, right. Mm And, and you're even more aware of their needs than yours. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I think any of those, those signs, like, wow, I'm more, more focused on my partner's happiness than mine, than more focused on my partner's, um, health than mine, they're reaching their dreams and their aspirations than mine, than me, me reaching my own, you know? And of course, again, we want to be supportive and helpful, but uh, mm-hmm. but this idea of losing self. So what's, yeah, what's the downside of, I can't, I've said that a dozen times already. <laughs> what do you think is the downside of losing yourself in a relationship?
2: Oh, um, If you lose yourself, what comes to mind, you might just start to, I don't have a hard time kind of figuring out like, it might affect your self-esteem if you lose yourself. Like, all of a sudden, you might not be sure of yourself, of who you are. Um, There might be more, you know, trying to, like, shying away from making decisions for yourself, especially if, you know, you more really depend on that person to give their opinion. Um, yeah, hard time kind of just being confident in how you're feeling or ideas about the world. There might be, yeah, those are things that come to mind for me. I don't know if you all agree with that.
3: But... Yeah, yeah. I I think it uh, it, it could be counterproductive. It can keep two people very stuck, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if, if you're in the more of that what Ryan was describing, kind of more of that caretaker role, then maybe you're neglecting what you need to do to make make sure that you're doing okay, and that can lead to a sense of anxiety and sadness and a lot of mental health concerns. So you might be neglecting, again, your well-being and the other person they might be kind of stuck in this pattern of it could be addiction or um, or abuse or whatever whatever it might be as well right Mm -hmm. yeah um i'm also kind of curious about you know if we look at that kind of the caretaker role that sometimes people take on why does that happen and i think that can be complicated as well that might be stemming from their own lived experience and wanting to almost like a defense mechanism for dealing with fear and lack of control is trying to um, fix a situation or trying to help people right
1: well if if i do like as a caretaker role to take it to the extreme right like if i do everything for you then you will not be mad at me right Mm -hmm. like like you said uh, um it's a protective strategy, a defense mechanism in a sense. I do everything for you, then you rely on me, and then you can't leave
0: me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's
1: a lot mm-hmm. of narratives that go with that.
0: Well, was, yeah. Yeah. So you're saying like a lot of the roads lead back to abandonment or a fear of abandonment, right? Mm-hmm.
3: Disconnection. Yeah. Or if, maybe some patterns there stemming from their past, right? Sure. Um, your experience with parents or their own caregivers? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can be kind of complicated but there might be some, you know, maybe some difficulties and challenges that need to be um, addressed.
2: Yeah. I think uh, if you're if you if you're noticing that there's very much a like a whether someone's very clingy or if you get the idea from your partner or loved one that their happiness depends on you quite a bit that's the kind of a sign there that maybe you're treading in the codependency waters i would think
0: but mm-hmm. sure yeah i think if you right. just to be even more pragmatic i think if you are asking your partner what would you like to do this weekend what would you like to do for vacation what would you like to eat for dinner and every every answer you get is oh whatever you want, (laughs) you know, I mean, once in a while, sure. Or even some of the most, a lot of the time that might even be okay. But, but if that's always the answer, then are they really, are they really showing up? Right. Or is it more of kind of catering to you and uh, I don't know if it's letting you lead or expecting you to lead or, you know, hoping to please you by letting you get whatever you want. Right.
3: Mm Hmm. Yeah, for sure.
0: I mean there's there's certainly something about, you know, if you don't truly don't have an opinion about it, that's fine, or if you you know, if it's just a pain to even think of what you're going to what you want to do for the summer, that's fine too. But if it's if that's always the case, if their mm-hmm. that partner never has a need or a want, then I think that would be something to ask them about, you know, something to talk
3: yeah. about. Yeah. For sure, I think um, one word that comes up a lot in our podcast is the is the word balance. Like your relationship is important, no doubt, but you know having connections with friends or uh, working or hobbies or interests or you know so if it's if everything is focused on the individual then that, that could definitely be problematic. Hmm. Yeah. That's very true.
0: Yes.
1: And sometimes those, uh, hobbies or interests or friends end up shifting. I, I feel like in these unhealthy relationships to what one person thinks the other, that the partner wants from them, right? Like, mm-hmm.
2: yeah.
1: um, my partner likes watching shows together in the evening. So I've stopped going to the gym mm-hmm. in the evening and yeah. now I don't work out because I need to sleep to whatever you know, so I I think we have to be aware of that. So that kind of goes back, Ryan, to what you were saying about the boundary setting as well, like what's important to you. And, uh, but if you're always putting your partner's needs first, then sometimes those things slip and we want to find a healthy compromise, but we don't really, we don't want to overcompromise ourselves.
0: I remember working with someone many years ago who, um, person was very, very giving. I don't know if we would Again, codependence is in the diagnosis. So I don't know if they would we would call them that or not, but this is a person who really gave a lot to her family. And all of her identity was kind of wrapped up in that. And and I asked her one time, you know, let's say that you had a week. A week completely to yourself. No one had any expectations from you. You know, you were in a town far away, and you know, no one was worried about you. It was just just completely on your own. You get to do whatever you want. Money is not an object. You can do anything that you want for this time. What would you like to do? And she said, I don't know. (laughs) I don't, I don't know. We explored it a little bit. She said, you know, maybe I'd read some books, go for a walk, but she really didn't have any of her own interests that she was nurturing. She didn't have anything, any of her own hobbies or, um, passions or desires of her own. And that was something that, you know, we identified as as a real need for her. You know, she was very well aware of what her kids needed and what her husband needed and what her friends and extended family needed, but she had no idea what she needed. And I felt like that was something that, you know, we needed to work on a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, again, again, it's it's great to, to have an identity of, of serving and to be a, a good helper of people. But again, all those roads led back to what other people want and never what she wanted.
3: For sure. I had a client a while ago who um, was experiencing some intensive grief. And uh, I think that was the main component why she was so focused on the needs of her husband. And um, the husband was the last didn't, they didn't have any kids and weren't close to the relatives or anything like that. So, when the husband passed away, suddenly she had such a hard time uh, grieving that loss and accepting mm-hmm. that loss and moving forward because she didn't have that sense of identity. Um, she didn't have things she was interested in. Her whole life was kind of focused on that relationship. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. So, Brooke, you're actually asking about toxic relationship patterns, and and I guess the way I'm viewing codependence, or the way I've been talking about it, has been that it's somewhat an individual thing. Like it's someone, I guess, enters into the relationship and maybe adopts a. Again, as Chris was saying, maybe it was something that was from childhood or something, some way that they grew up, some familiarity with that sort of pattern. Um. But. As you're talking about relationship patterns. So do you think there's the other, the other partner maybe causing or, or influencing that codependence, expecting it?
1: Or enabling it?
0: Enabling it, sure.
1: Potentially, there's a sender and a receiver in this, right? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. if, yeah, if the other partner isn't, maybe, you, maybe they think they're Letting the other person be happy by doing these things. I don't know. Maybe they've tried to put a boundary and the other person got upset. Maybe, sure. um, maybe the person yeah gets really sad or frustrated when they need to make the decisions. So they've just taken that role. Or maybe they get frustrated with them because they don't know. So they've taken that role. Yeah. where they think they're helping them like oh you don't have a lot of friends of your own so you can my friends are your friends oh you don't have a lot of hobbies and interests why don't you come with me to do this let me yeah. help you right and um yeah so i yeah. think there's a sender and a receiver
3: at the same time though it's still a codependency, right it's not a dependency like the the other individual is getting something from this as well right yeah. Sure. Like they like the fact they can make the decisions. They like the fact the other person is there to help them, and support them, and to you know, to whatever that looks like within the context of that relationship. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a sense of uh they want it to go on, right? They they want they want it to continue, the dynamic that exists. Sure.
0: They like they like to the control, maybe, and they uh like to be in power. And and foster that or yeah influence that. Okay. And so I guess if, you know, when I've worked with folks with this sort of issue in the past, it, um as individuals, I don't think I've done really much couples work that's really focused on codependence, but as an individual who's dealing with this, uh I guess doing a lot of talking about like value and worth and and you know, self-esteem and loving yourself and like valuing your own thoughts and opinions you know and i and i'll i'll be asking them about their own passions and what do they want you know like this this question of what would you do with a with a week with no one depending on you you know what would you do to really help to kind of foster and nurture this idea of uh oh i have some interests too and that's okay it's okay for me to have interests okay for me to want things and uh and i can pursue those and it's it's okay for me to to get pleasure out of the things that i enjoy not just by serving people around me mm-hmm. yeah boundaries
2: sure. could be part of it helping them to have certain boundaries or maybe be able to say no if they want to say no or mm-hmm. and it totally depends on what the codependency looks like I, uh, that might not relate to every situation but yeah you know if there's more of that trying to that partner there might be less of you yeah more sacrificing of your needs are really trying to help yeah boundaries assertiveness making sure your needs are being met um yeah
3: sounds about right and the the person in the relationship benefiting from the caretaker um maybe if this is an ongoing pattern maybe they feel that they can't do certain things so um Stepping into that discomfort, maybe finding ways to take care of yourself. I don't know. Um,
0: I guess I also like to, to talk with people about kind of what, uh, you know, what might be an ideal relationship, right? What in a, in a, in a non codependent relationship, what really happens? And, and I think that's when two people can be fully themselves and show up. And kind of lay their cards on the table and say, here's what I want, here's what I want. Let's kind of, you know, we're not gonna agree all the time. Maybe we'll have to compromise, maybe we'll have to negotiate, but you know, we two people are showing up to this relationship to really um relate, you know, instead of one person leading and the other person capitulating, you know?
3: Yeah. but mm-hmm. what happens if they gravitate like they what they want is and we'll lead them down a, a path that is considered unhealthy and dysfunctional, right? because that's what they're familiar with, you know? Yeah. Like another word that pops into my mind is reciprocation. Like whatever, what you put into it, you kind of get back, like it's a little more balanced in in that way. Mm -hmm. But again, it's so subjective based on each relationship. Sure.
2: But in some, yeah, there might be some situations where someone might feel like they put a lot in, but they might feel like they might not get a lot. And that could be, if you're giving more, but not receiving it, but you might stay in that relationship because you might feel like you won't be okay without them or you're just so used to Mm -hmm. being with them. Or, you know, I think that's where you might get caught in that, like, yeah, that being dependent or codependent on that person or that relationship. Um, So it might not be equal parts each way.
3: Mm -hmm. That's true. But if if there's someone who's having a hard time making decisions, then the other partner can encourage them to do so, right? It doesn't have to be Absolutely. used in a dysfunctional totally. way or for yeah. manipulation or um you know there can be you can grow together in a healthy way i would, I would imagine right for sure
2: mm-hmm.
3: that's and
0: that's something i've been talking with couples about more and more recently and i i don't see a ton of couples but i i usually have a few on my caseload and uh and i like this idea of let's let's be very clear about what our I don't know, shortcomings or areas for growth are and, and let's have one another be each other's biggest cheerleader in that area you know like hey it, it's it's great when it, when someone can say hey you know what I tend to uh, hide when you know when we're making decisions about something a, a vacation or a dinner or whatever it might be I tend to bury my own feelings and just focus on you because I don't want to have a conflict or I don't want to upset you And I'd really like to work on showing up more and being more authentic and, you know, speaking my mind. And then if the partner can say, oh, great, I'll help you with that, you know. So then the next time they have a discussion and say, "Okay, well, what are we going to do this weekend? And the the codependent partner says, I don't care whatever whatever you want. And the other partner says, nope, I'm holding you to this. Think about it. What do you really want to do? We're going to do what you want this weekend. That can be really great if you really have a partnership where people are helping each other grow, uh, you know, really being explicit about that. It can be a really great partnership.
3: Yeah, I
0: agree. So. So, OK, back to toxic, <laughs> Brooke.
1: Toxic. We just also use that word toxic because it's also kind of a hot word.
0: Yeah, like toxic masculinity. We're familiar. Unhealthy.
1: Yes. And then I was like, no, hot words. I need to be on the top 10. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it was manipulative.
0: Good choice of words, Brooke. Uh, let's talk about gaslighting because that is a very, speaking of hot words, that's like yeah. one of the hottest psychological terms in the last yeah. few years.
1: Absolutely. It really blew up there, I think, in the past five years maybe yeah um yeah yeah, people didn't really use that term very often and then all of a sudden boom yeah gaslighting gaslighting
0: i used to teach that in a psych class 20 years ago and no one knew what i was talking about but in the last two or three years everyone knows what gaslighting is or at least they they think they do so Mm -hmm. yeah uh gaslighting Everyone's probably heard the origin story for this. Shall I share it anyway?
1: Yeah, I don't think I I actually do. Yeah, I don't know either.
0: Gaslighting is actually based on a movie from 1940. It was made twice. Same movie was made twice, 1940 and 41, called Gaslight, which was about a a husband and wife. And I believe there's something like an inheritance involved. Like the the wife was going to get a lot of money. And um, the husband decided that what he would do is every day in their house, this is old, old timey house, right? Gas lights in their house. He would turn down the light in in the living room just a smidgen. Right. And so the wife would walk in and go, is it a little darker in here today? He'd say, oh, honey, I don't know what you're talking about. It's fine. Right. And then every day, progressively, that would happen. And there would be other things that, that she would do. He, he would do to make her think that she was going crazy. And he would like, oh, what's wrong with your mind? You must be losing. You know, what's are you okay, dear? Is everything all right? And uh eventually had her locked up in, I guess at that in those days, an, an asylum or a you know a mental hospital, basically. Mm-hmm having convinced herself he had convinced her that she was uh of unfit minds you know she was going crazy and so that's that's the movie that's the film called gaslight
1: also why they call it crazy making
0: it's crazy making yes it's exactly crazy making so crazy making ideas the idea here is that someone, and and I usually hear it attributed in in narcissistic relationships, but it it doesn't necessarily have to be, but it's two people in a relationship where one person is is questioning reality for the other person, right?
1: Yeah, using psychological manipulation. uh, Using manipulation, Yeah.
0: yeah, to manipulate them into thinking something that they believe to be true is completely irrational, right?
1: Yeah, or delusional in some way. Yes. That yes. never actually happened. What are you talking about?
0: Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. So you know, a really familiar one is like um, you know, two people are talking, uh, one partner starts yelling at the other person, ah, you know, like how could you say this? Whatever that might be. Yeah. Screw you, something like that, right? Yeah. And the and the other partner says, I I can't handle it. You're screaming at me. Stop it. And the other person says, I wasn't screaming. What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. maybe i raised my voice a little bit but that wasn't screaming i wasn't mad you know so then that makes the other person go wait what do i believe now you know do i believe what i what i perceived or do i believe what they're telling me right now and now i'm having to kind of question what's reality and what's fantasy here you know was i overreacting oh no maybe it's my fault that i was overreacting so these sorts of things on many different scales and you know
1: a lot of deceit
0: Yes, deceit and I don't know that the gas lighter is really consciously thinking, you know what I'm trying to make this person feel crazy, but the effect of it is is just that. It makes them feel makes them question reality, makes them wonder, mm-hmm. am I the one at fault here or am I the one who's misperceiving things or, or out of mm-hmm. touch with reality? what's happening
1: mm-hmm. Yeah. And now that the term is more common, I find, or for my younger female clients, like women in their twenties,
2: um,
1: who are aware of this term, when they get a sense of that, uh, they are turning to their friends or family members and connecting out, like reaching for that, Hey, this is what happened. What's your take on this? Like, am I being Mm. reasonable? Like they're, They realize that how they're feeling about the situation is being questioned and they're going for more support or feedback. Mm, Um, That's good. Yeah. So I found that that's kind of more interesting Mm -hmm. Uh, and whether that's healthy or not, I have yet to really decide.
0: How could it be unhealthy Brooke?
1: Well, meaning like, so in the moment, if they're not necessarily standing up for themselves or acknowledging it, like they're, they're feeling that questioning right and there's that self-doubt so if somebody's yelling and then like well I wasn't actually yelling I've raised my voice or whatever um the the self-doubt of that um opposed to stand the ground and be like no that's bullshit you were yelling and this is how it's it, mm-hmm. it's still putting somebody in a spot where they feel that they have to be questioned and then ask for support but I'm glad they are asking for support yeah if that makes sense yeah, yeah, it would be nice if it could be pushed just a, a little bit more where they can actually stand ground.
3: Sure. Ryan was saying before that sometimes it's not deliberate, and that movie it was definitely deliberate. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah.
3: Sometimes it's not though. So what? Why do people gaslight others?
1: I think That's to it. save themselves from shame and embarrassment.
3: Yeah. So some projection there, maybe, or just deflection
1: they know i think on some level that what they're doing is not right and they're covering their tracks a little bit Mm
0: -hmm. i think it's yeah i I agree yes shame and embarrassment may be a part of that i think again i think that's that may be kind of deep down the hierarchy i think that uh that really they're trying to win on the the most base level they're just trying to win the, the argument or win the the conflict you know Oh no! It wasn't me. It was you. You know. I mean, I don't don't know if it was some. It may have been Dennis Rodman. I don't know if you. uh, I don't want to speculate. Some some famous celebrity in the '90s, um, who whose spouse walked in on them in uh, in bed with another person, and uh, and the spouse goes, "What what are you doing right here?" And and they said wasn't me i don't know what you're talking about wasn't me (laughs) right like it's right there in front of him but wasn't me so you know anything to deflect any of the blame and to uh and to just throw some question in there i mean it's it's a it's a red herring in a way you know it's like now we're talking about this thing instead of talking about this thing we're not talking about an affair we're talking about you know what's what's reality and what's fantasy you know
1: yeah, it's a giant deflection.
0: Huge deflection, yeah, right.
1: Yeah, yeah. And then the conversation becomes, am I crazy? Did I, mm-hmm. did I hear that right? Did I see that right? Opposed to, yeah, the the matter at hand.
0: And, and I think that as far as the gaslighter is concerned, as soon as you ask that question, as soon as the other person asks that question, am I crazy? They've kind of won, that's it, you know? Now that you're questioning your reality, now that you're questioning whether or not it's, uh, they can trust themselves, trust their own perception. Yeah.
1: Now okay. I can, the gaslighter can control your perception, right? Like,
0: exactly. Sure. At least call it into question, you know? Yeah. There's an extra step I'm here.
1: All that powerful.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, Brooke, I was asking before about the, you know, asking, what's the problem with asking other people? And um, you know, I, I, think there is some value, especially in a gaslighting situation to ask people like, Hey, am I crazy here? Is there, you know, can I get some sort of objectivity about this? You know, if I walk in on my spouse and they're in bed with another person, is that still a wrong thing? You know, that sort of thing. Right. Uh-huh. It's non-consensual, I'm right.
1: I'm really glad they're asking
0: because yes. they're
1: bringing that power of the gaslighter by, by getting more, more eyes and ears on this. The mm-hmm. gaslighter might be able to gaslight one person, but are they able to gaslight ten? Probably right.
0: not. Maybe not. Maybe not. Um. I I raise that because there's another sort of phenomenon that I I talk about with some clients, which is when they're trying to make a decision in their life about something, um, and they just run it. They're always running it by all of their friends first, right? Which I call living living life by committee, right? Like. Hey, should I should I date him or not? What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? What do you think, do you think? right? Which is uh, I mean, it's nice to get opinions from other people, but you really don't want your your decisions, your most important decisions to be made by vote of the people around you, right? You're the one who has to live with the consequences. Um so, I just distinguish those two. I think it is important to have some objective. If you're questioning your own reality, like, hey, I think this was an argument. I think this was, you know, I think this was there was something wrong that happened here. Am I right or am I wrong? Um that's probably a good time to run it by. Really trusted, really close friends, people who will even tell you when you're you're in the wrong, right? Not yeah. just yes, yes people, right?
2: And I think it could happen in uh some subtle ways too, is just if you share, if you feel like a person is not validating how you're feeling or is saying like, oh, you're always overreacting, or you're overreacting, you're being too sensitive. It's actually not that big of a deal. Um, Great one, Joanna. That is. Right? I think that's more common in many relationships, whether the person doing it realizes, but because over time that person's now like, well, I'm mad, but should I be mad? Because they say I'm overreacting. So maybe it wasn't that big of a deal. So people start not trusting, their initial feelings about things and that's where it gets dangerous i think because you just start stop yeah trusting yourself that's all you start not listening to those initial feelings and your concerns because
0: yeah so i think that is beautiful that's that's Mm -hmm. that's really the best example of it i think um you know you're too sensitive you're overreacting you You know, this is not a big deal. I don't know what you what you're reacting to, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, because, yeah, then that also causes you to question, is that true or is it false? You know, are you in the right or are you not? That's Mm -hmm. a great, great point. Yes. So what would you do to someone who's being who's feeling gaslit? How would you uh, would you do to them if you were a cow? If you're. In therapy with someone who felt like their partner was gaslighting them, how would you
3: respond to that? I think as, as therapists, we're not friends of the client. So I hope we have a little more objectivity when it comes to the situation. So I'd listen as much as I can try to understand all the different uh factors um in regard to the situation. Um, see if there's any patterns there as well. But we could be in a position where we can offer some advice to help them navigate through that, right? Mm-hmm.
1: There's also validating the emotion that was had, right? To say, of course you felt that way. That makes sense. hmm hmm Like, let's name that emotion and let's accept that emotion. And that's okay. That's okay that you felt that. Yep. Mm-hmm. therapy is essentially the opposite of gaslighting
0: (laughs) how do you mean if you're
2: going to be
1: validated and listened to validated normalized listened to like sure we're going to question some things but it's uh yeah therapy isn't gonna like really shake that like we don't yeah sure i think
2: yeah, I think it's tough, I and mean, you'd want to encourage that person to, if there's an upsetting situation, to just, yeah, if after like take some time to think about it, and and you know, you want to be able to encourage them to, you know, work on feeling more confident in their perspective, you know, and and validating, be like, you know, let's trust yourself a little bit more, or um, to you know, speak up or to be able to hold their ground a bit more, say, actually, I think I'm, I did, did feel that way. And I think it's that, you know, I'm okay saying that, but it's tough. And in certain relationships where it's actually so like someone's gaslit all the time, oh, their confidence is so broken down. And I had a client in mind, like, and it was just ongoing for years. And when someone's in that deep, oh, it's kind okay. of really hard. It's heartbreaking because they've now started to not even trust themselves. So encourage the person to speak up or at least you know really encourage them to start to trust themselves or little situations give examples of hey well you trusted yourself there and maybe you can bring this up but at the end of the day if the person you're in a relationship with is going to keep making you feel bad for stuff or making you question your own reality red flag central and try to help that person navigate whether that you know yeah how to navigate that unhealthy relationship
0: I would like to share a brief lecture that I share with some clients about mirroring. Is that all right? Are really great? Okay. So, this is a, a common metaphor that we talk about in therapy a lot of times mirroring. It's uh, something we talk about with, with early childhood stuff. And the idea is that, that starting in childhood, a parent, an important job, important task of a parent is to mirror back to the child's who they are, what they're feeling, what they're... So this is something that's very natural for a lot of people. Like a a child is crying and the parent makes a sad face. Oh, you're crying, you poor thing, right? Uh, Child's happy and the parent lights up. Oh, you're happy. So it's this this idea that the parent is actually, in some ways, like visually a mirror of the kid. Like the kid is is expressing an emotion and the parent is showing them that very same emotion back on their face. And the kid goes, oh, that's what that looks like, right? and also showing that it's okay, like it's normal. That's that makes sense. Oh, you're you're hungry, or you're tired, and you're feeling sad, or whatever it might be. So that's this mirroring stuff is is important. Um, the problems that come with with mirroring, especially in early childhood attachment stuff, is let's say that you have a parent who is really depressed for one reason or another, right? And so the child is showing these emotions, and the parents—they're so, so depressed they can't really even empathize with the child. They're kind of blank faced, and they don't really have much to feed back to the kid. And so the kid kind of questions, "Well, whoa, what? What am I? What am I feeling? I don't even know what this is." Like they start to question their own emotions. And sometimes, or there are times when, what I term like the funhouse mirror, where you know how you go into a funhouse at, at a circus and like the mirror is distorted everything's kind of all over the place right you may you look one way in a regular flat mirror but you look at a totally different way in a funhouse mirror and that's when like you come to your parent and you're like i'm really sad and then the parent says how dare you get sad right now right so you're showing them sadness and you're receiving anger back and now you're like whoa what's that seems different than what i'm experiencing you know that's a that's a funhouse mirror effect where it's like, whoa, I guess sadness is a bad thing so I shouldn't feel that anymore, right? And I think we have those those same sorts of things in relationships as well. this, this is where it feeds into gaslighting, you know you you come to your partner in, in adulthood and you say, wow, what you did really hurt my feelings, you know I, I really feel you know, I really feel bummed out by that. I can't believe you did that. And the partner says, what are you talking about? That's a non-issue, you know, back off, you know, no one else is upset by that. You know, what are, what are you, what's your problem? We're
2: overreacting.
0: Right. <laughs> Overreact, you're overreacting. Right. And then you're like, Whoa, that's a different, that's a distortion here. Like I thought that this was a, something for me to be upset about. And you're telling me that it's nothing. There's a, there's a, a miss, a mismatch in the mirror there. What therapy is supposed to be. And this is what therapists are were supposed to be training to do. And, And hopefully you know continuing our own training throughout our careers and therapy from time to time and all that kind of stuff to try to get rid of our own funhouse stuff to try to be the best non-biased mirror that we can be right and to go into a a counseling session with a therapist with it with a client and be like oh this is what i hear from you this is what it feels like i see what you're i see what you're saying right there's no we're trying not to distort this and, and like you know, get angry at our client's sadness or, you know, dismiss their feelings. We're trying to be a really congruent mirror, right? Mm-hmm. So there's so ans- my little speech on Yes, yeah, so our
3: answers are basically the same then. Yeah. <laughs> That's What's a good that? answer. Yeah, same. I, I said, our answers are basically the same.
0: Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Yes.
3: That's great. It, no, get, yeah, uh, right. good, good job. Analogy you brought out the, uh, the funhouse mirror.
0: Well, I, like I mean, it's, it, yeah, there's just kind of bringing in the, the fact that this is something that's important for people throughout their life. You know, when you, yeah, and really when you're, if you're 60 years old and you are feeling angry about something and you share that with someone else and they share something completely different back to you, that's yeah. disturbing, that's distressing. Yeah. That's the yeah. funhouse mirror effect.
3: No, it's great. Great uh, and I, analogy and story and yeah, well put. Yeah. Yeah. I think
2: too, what you, what is important as well as adults who, like you said, if they've, they might, they might not recognize that it's a funhouse mirror when they're in a relationship because they grew up with that as a kid. Right. Like you said, right. So if their parent if constantly, they would express feelings and they were told to be quiet, not be sad you're overreacting like don't get angry like that or you shouldn't even whatever if you grow up with that all of a sudden if you start hearing that in a uh, relationship you might not actually recognize it um as right that fun Mm -hmm. house mirror because that's all you're used to so hopefully whether you have other relationships where you can feel that validation or in therapy or something like that or start to recognize actually that's not okay (laughs) that there's something that is gaslighting there's something that's not a healthy sign in a relationship and it wasn't when I was a kid and that you can understand that a bit more so
3: sure
0: yeah
3: absolutely you know another uh, something else that pops up quite a bit is a scenario like that but um, there's emotional manipulation there or blame so yeah I did that but I did it because you did this so I did it because of you um it's thrown like back you. at the person right uh, which is obviously very damaging as well. Why'd you make me hit you?
0: Yeah. One of the old yeah. sayings I used to hear, right? Why'd you make me, why'd you make me, you know, get drunk and hit you?
3: Or something? Yeah. No, it's, it's true. Because I love you so much or because you you angered me or whatever it might be. So you, you're putting the blame on the other person, which is um, awful.
2: I'm yes. sorry for yelling, but you weren't listening to me. You're you you did not come, you know. And it's just a, if anyone says, "I'm sorry," but or "I'm sorry for this," but you did this. You're that's not a real apology. You're okay. still putting that on the other person. And uh, you did not have to yell, even if you were upset. You did not have to hit, even if you're upset. That's on you. So
3: yeah, that's true.
2: Uh, extreme forms, but the hitting all that stuff but i think there's a lot more subtle things
3: for yeah. sure yeah So, just thinking ideas you're mad at me well you did this and you keep on rehashing yeah. a mistake in another person's back and forth
0: oh yes well sometime in the not too distant future we may do a piece on forgiveness and apologies so so keep yourself uh so listeners keep stay tuned Forgiveness and apologies may be a topic at some point.
1: But not next week, because next week is book club.
0: But not next week. Right. Because we're talking about the gifts next week.
2: Right. (laughs) you say forgiveness. Um, I always think of the movie Just Friends. No. (laughs) Forgiveness. There's more than saying so. If anyone's seen it, Ryan Reynolds, Anna Faris. It's a good
1: one. Watch it every year. It's the first Christmas movie I watch. No, it's ridiculous.
0: <laughs> anyway. Is it a Christmas movie?
1: Well, it's based at Christmas, Christmas time.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So I yeah. consider it a Christmas movie.
0: Best friends? Yeah. Just
1: friends? Just friends. Just friends. Just friends with yeah. Ryan Reynolds.
0: Yeah. A, a famous Canadian. I know, I know. He's he's a, a, a Vancouverite, right?
1: Yeah, he is.
0: Yeah.
2: He's a big deal. Big deal for sure. He's a big deal.
0: Totally. He's great. Well, look, we need to uh, wrap this up for tonight. We'll come back to Just Friends and Forgiveness and all those other things another time. But for now, run out and buy your copy of The Gift. We're going to talk about it next week. It's going to be great. And uh, please try to uh, address your codependent and or gaslighting behaviors. Look for clear mirrors in your life. And, uh, and that's it for tonight. So like and subscribe on Apple, Google, Podbean, Audible, Spotify, Stitcher, or YouTube. Send your questions to info at Visit us on Facebook or Instagram. Tell a friend to... Fifty five, and we'll say goodnight, good night, everybody.
3: It's up to you.
2: Good night, right. everybody. Good night. Bye. 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 Good night. Good
0: night.